are the confessions of American Christians recovering from American Christianity. This is the world we made. Welcome to The World We Made. I'm here with Pastor Jacob Menzel. And I'm here with Nathan Alverson. And that's me. And this is part eight of our series, talking to Pastor Tim Bailey about homosexuality and loving homosexuals. The last time we began to discuss how the rubber meets the road, how we can apply these truths to real people in our lives. The first step is to see people as they actually are, to stop looking through the smudged up glass of political correctness and see people's sins and the wounds inflicted by those sins on themselves and others, really see them. Having done that, we can't stop there. We can't see the terrible truth about people and let that be an excuse to withdraw and judge them. But Jake, I'm a reformed evangelical Midwesterner. Withdraw and judge is like our motto. Well, Nathan, it's time to become a Christian. Oh yeah. So withdrawing and judging is for the birds. So what do we do? Well, uh, if we know the truth, the first step, a good step, might be to tell people. I see. Tell the truth, eh? So how do we do that? We asked him that very question. He answered it first in the context of what a pastor should do as he preaches and teaches people. Yeah, but even if you're not a pastor, we doubt you'll have any trouble applying this to yourself. Well, let me start with a pastor. We have to preach to the world we live in because we're shepherds and shepherds know their sheep. Jesus says this, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And the shepherd has the responsibility of not just knowing the names of the sheep, but of knowing their particular temptations and sins. And you can't preach if you don't know what food your people need. Every sermon, every prophetic statement in scripture is honed, sharpened for the people that the godly prophet or pastor is addressing. And so we have to commit ourselves to seeing what we see and then addressing it from scripture. Every time we open the word to prepare to preach, we have to see what the sins that we ourselves have and therefore our people have, because sins reproduce themselves from pastor to people, what the people of the church need from the text and then preach to their conscience, calling them to have faith. And faith does two things, causes us to repent and it causes us to cling to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and not just for justification, but for sanctification. And so the first thing we have to do is preach, and we have to preach to homosexuality, to bisexuality. We have to preach to androgyny. We have to preach to parents to teach their children not to be persons who make good choices, but men and women who manifest the sexuality God blessed them with. You see, we have to preach in a way that's helpful. Helpful, he says. What's helpful? 
Does that mean we need to just like grit our teeth and do the like Debbie Downer work of telling it like it is about the sin that is homosexuality? Well, yeah, that's part of it. But what about like Jesus dying for our sins and God's love for us? Shouldn't our witness, both to our Christian brothers and sisters and to the lost, start there? Well, in one way, sure, but it's all tied together. If we're going to call people to faith in Jesus, we have to start by telling them why they need a savior. And that means telling them about real sins, not sin in general, but particular sins, their own sin before a holy God. Which brings us back to the Debbie Downer work of telling it like it is about homosexuality. Except it's not really Debbie Downer work. Don't you remember episode three? Still waiting to hear from the Pulitzer committee on it. If you take what Tim just said and you put it together with what you and I said at the end of episode three, you get the bigger picture. Which, if you remember what we said, what we said was, sex is great. The negative truth about homosexuality begins with the positive truth about how God has made us, male and female. Right, and as we work to call pagans to faith or to encourage and disciple our Christian brothers and sisters, we have to work from the ground up, which means teaching and helping people live out their sexuality in the way that God intended, casting the bigger picture for people. All right, so give me some examples of how we can do that. Well, I can tell you how I did it as a college pastor, for example. Tell me how you did it as a college pastor, for example. Okay, so you have a college student who comes to you. Say he comes and tells you that he's tempted by homosexuality. And you ask him when he began to be tempted by homosexuality and he said, well, when I got on campus. And you say, no, I don't think you're actually tempted by homosexuality. I think you're just getting inundated with the university's propaganda. And so the thoughts crossed your mind for the first time and you've had some thoughts about what it might be like. And so you're you're dealing with it for the first time. But at the same time, you know, he is vulnerable to it. He's effeminate or whatever. What do you do with that guy? Well, part of what you do is you cast a bigger, broader vision for what it means to be a man, a Christian man. And so you teach him about taking responsibility, about hard work, about taking responsibility for his classmates, about speaking the truth to them. Yeah, I'm thinking of two pastors right now that have had a profound influence on me growing in manliness. One of them went with me to a car mechanic, and the other one showed me how to change my oil. And those may sound like simple things, but I spent my life feeling emasculated because I didn't know how to take responsibility for my car. And just something that simple was profoundly helpful and just like giving me confidence to live out my sexuality, believe it or not. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things my wife, especially when we were in college ministry, and she still likes to do this with college girls is to have them over, especially if they're around during the summer months and have some more free time, have them over and uh, have them around to help take care of the kids and engage in housework understand what it sort of means to run a household because a lot of these girls uh, they grew up you know going to 5,000 different programs and playing sports or whatever and you know some of them don't know how to do laundry or don't know how to do dishes (laughs) (laughs) a woman that doesn't know how to do laundry you say (laughs) the very idea (laughs) I know it's crazy right (laughs) well I mean I'm being a jerk but like I said with the oil it it really did help me know how to be a man I, I don't even know how to put it together in my head but like if i'm able to do like specifically christian manly things now like witness to people be bold in sharing the gospel it's because some guy spent a couple hours helping me change my oil that's it's just that simple mm-hmm. and it's a lifetime of little things like that that people have put into me that's been so helpful okay but that doesn't let us off the hook to tell people god's know about things like homosexuality like it can't just be oil changing right it can't just be oil changing so okay that just brings us back to square one how do we do that 
How do we nuance it so people understand? How do we not get lumped in with the the God hates fags crowd if they're still a thing? What what words do we use? How do we say them? Well, considering we spent the last seven episodes hearing Tim do just that, let's hear what he has to say. Now, again, he's speaking primarily from the point of view of a pastor here. Look, everybody in churches knows that the world is in an orgy of communication and modulation about homosexuality. It shouldn't be the one place in the world where homosexuality is not the endless subject. The pulpit of the church is absurd. How is the pulpit of the church being helpful? If that's the one place where we carefully avoid what is going on everywhere else, including the Supreme Court. So we have to preach about homosexuality. Now, what would we say about homosexuality? Well, what the scripture tells us to say. What does scripture tell us to say about homosexuality? Well, it tells us to use Sodom and Gomorrah as an example to scare people away because God hates it. Now, when is the time that we have used the word sodomy in the pulpit? Sodomite in the pulpit. And the minute I say that, I'm losing all of the pastors and all of the elders and all the elders' wives because how are we going to attract people if our pastor appears to be from Kansas? Look, we are God's mouthpiece. And there's a reason the apostle says in season and out of season. It is out of season today to say the word sodomy. And there's a reason it's out of season because we're seeing the normalization of homosexuality. So there's a reason why pastors have stopped referring to two men lying with each other as sodomy. We have to reclaim the language of scripture. Scripture makes it very clear what Sodom and Gomorrah stand for. That's why you'll find sodomy being the name given to two men lying with each other for 2,000 years. It didn't originate in the English language in the last few centuries. We can find usages of it going back over 2,000 years. We have to preach. We have to preach to the conscience. We have to use biblical language, biblical names. We have to come back with Bible translations that actually translate Malakoi, soft men or effeminate. That's what it was translated in, in the earlier centuries of English translations, the effeminate. Then we have to teach what effeminacy is, and we have to do it from the pulpit. Now, how many people listening have heard any mention of effeminacy from the pulpit of their church in the last 20 years? It's absurd. Why? Is it because that somehow in our day and time no longer has application? Because you find it in all the preachers of the past. Tim ain't kidding about the preachers of the past. Yeah, if you know your church fathers, you know they weren't shy about addressing the specifics of manhood and womanhood and human sexuality. We're not your mom or Google, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on that, but just a couple of quick examples to get you started. John Calvin, in his commentary on the Seventh Commandment, says this, Garments are not in themselves of so much importance, but as it is disgraceful for men to become effeminate, and also for women to affect manliness in their dress and gestures, propriety and modesty are prescribed not only for decency's sake, but lest one kind of liberty should at length lead to something worse. Whoa, you got all that from the seventh commandment? There is a reason John Calvin is John Calvin, my friend. Hit me with another one. 
This is from Chrysostom's homily on Titus. For God assigned to woman the care of the house only to man the conduct of public affairs. Yikes. Based on what Tim said at the end of the Malakoy episode, I don't even think he agrees with that one. The point isn't that these guys got it right all the time. The point is that they weren't afraid to talk about it and they weren't afraid to apply the word of God to specific things like sexuality. Okay, hit me with one more. I could read something from John Knox's The First Blast of the Trumpet Against the Monstrous Regiment of Women. Don't bother, man. With a catchy title like that, it practically reads itself. Everybody who was anybody read it back in the day, including the queen herself. Oh yeah, how'd she like it? Uh, well, she wasn't a big fan. Hmm, weird. I know, no accounting for taste, right? But we should account for the fact that we still haven't really answered my question. Tim says we gotta teach, preach, talk about this stuff. Right. But how? What do we say? How do we, like, nuance it or whatever? Tim answered that question with a story from his ministry. I remember one Sunday knowing that there were a number of people who either were involved in homosexuality or who were repenting of it. I remember one Sunday thinking to myself as I was preaching, I must say that if you are involved in homosexuality, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. There is no hope for you spiritually. And so I said it, and I knew that the, the, the leadership, the elders and the rich wives would be furious at me for saying this, because all they really wanted was to have the muckety-mucks from the university coming to their church, or just a block off campus, a couple blocks off, you know, and that's... And I knew they wouldn't appreciate me saying that if you are a man who lies with other men or a soft man, you will not inherit. So I said, look, if you're giving yourself to homosexual sin, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then I stopped and I was silent. It was intense. Now, let me tell you, that wasn't said out of animus I had towards homosexuals <laughs> at all. It was because at that moment, God inspired me to actually love homosexuals and to tell them where they were headed if they didn't repent. It was the same sort of statement I would make about the greedy, about the bitter in that church, about those who wouldn't forgive. And do you know something? Do you know that there that day was a man? And I didn't find this out for years, but do you know he went home that day and he called his friends that went to the church and he had them come over. He was in anguish. And he went into his bathroom and he, if I remember correctly how he described it to me, he was either bashing the wall in the door with his fists or he was banging his head into the medicine cabinet. He was in physical torment. Now why? Was it because I'm very articulate? <laughs> you know, is it because I was so sophisticated in the way I presented God's claims on his life? Was it because I had spent my life ministering to people tempted by homosexuality and I knew the sweet spot? No, 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 no. No. It was just because I happened to remember and love homosexuals and repeat to them what it says in scripture, which is that men who lie with other men will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I just said it in a sermon. It was a direct quote from scripture. And do you know that that began the repentance of that man. And interestingly enough, in that case, if I remember correctly, that man never did have sex with other men. In other words, it wasn't that he was hooking up with other men. In his case, it was that he just lived in his mind as a homosexual luster. And do you know that that man went on to repent? He met with one of the pastors there for counseling for years. That man, I'll tell you, I, I still am in touch with him. He is living for God. I think I got an email from him in the last couple of months. He's married, he has kids. And I'll tell you something, I'll bet anything. And 
This may be discouraging for you to hear. I'll bet anything he's still tempted by homosexuality. All those men that picked me up, they are all married and had kids. But he's living the life of a Christian. And he's not claiming an identity as a gay Christian. He has taken responsibility for a wife. He's taken responsibility at his work. Very heavy responsibility. He's taken responsibility for children. He's taken responsibility for repenting and living humbly under God's hand. And that's the result. God used just this simple quote from scripture that I had the faith to say publicly in a way that showed that I believed it was true. And God used it. It's not that difficult. It's not at Mount Everest. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening, everybody. The world we made was written Wait by... a second, Nathan. That's it? Yeah, that's all I got. Okay, well, uh, do you mind if I play The Devil's Advocate? Uh, if you think you have the charisma and dry cool wit that I'm told such people possess, be my guest. Thanks. Okay, so I think a lot of people aren't going to be satisfied by what Tim said there. I mean, hopefully most people will agree with him that we need to have faith and tell the simple truth, but what's the nitty-gritty of how to do that? The thing is, it kind of is as simple as Tim says it is. Like, if you want to be a good witness to God's truth, the first thing you have to do is, like, pray for it. Pray for it frequently. Pray for it over months, over years, over decades. Expect God to answer that prayer in his own time and then be aware that you're going to fail, you're going to sin, you're going to be a coward. Like I was with the people at work I was talking about in the last episode, you're going to get tongue-tied, say the wrong thing. And some of those things are just, like, human weaknesses, and many of them are sins. There's no excuse for sins, but Christ did die and pay the penalty for them and he did send his Holy Spirit. So like, I don't know, pray like crazy that God would give you the courage and the words to say and the people to say them to and then, you know, do it. Just like Tim said, it's actually not rocket science and God is the one in the business of changing hearts. Our job is to just be faithful. That's it. G.K. Chesterton said my favorite quote of all time, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. So, you know, do it poorly. Say the wrong thing. Get tongue-tied. Say the half-truth or a quarter-truth or when you meant to say the whole truth. Yeah, you don't have to be Billy Graham or Jim Elliott to witness to people and you don't have to be Tim Bailey to witness to them about their sexuality. Here's an idea. Even after listening to these podcasts, you may not have every little detail sorted out in your head, and you may not be able to defend all your positions at the drop of a hat. So what? You know that homosexuality is bad, right? You know that God made man, male and female, and created men to be men and women to be women. So have faith. Share those things with people and throw a grenade every now and again. Yeah, I mean, like, get your cousin Susie alone and say, you know, I really don't think you should nag your husband like that, or, or tease the sullen teenage boy at your small group whose long hair is obviously a rebellion against the sex that God made him, because in his case, it obviously is. And and tease him until he gets a haircut or a job or something. Say to your gay neighbor or workmate, I don't come into work on Sundays because I go to church. And the next time he talks about his gay lifestyle, say, you know, at my church, we believe God made men for women and women for men. And even though you know you shouldn't have qualified it with, I believe and at my church, and you should have just said, God says men are for women and women are for men, you'll have made a step in the right direction. Yeah, you know, say to the lady at the mom group who's bragging about how her daughter is going to be an astronaut, Tell her about how you're raising your daughter to be a wife and mother. And in most of these situations, it's not going to be a monologue, right? It's a dialogue. So if you can just get over that one sentence hump where you get the ball rolling, you just start talking about the thing that you really, really don't want to talk about, then a lot of times people have questions, objections, whatever, and you'll be able to just play off of that and it'll get easier. Most likely, these are going to be people that you know somehow. You're probably not going to be the great street preacher the Apostle Paul was. That's okay. You don't have to be. If you're living according to the sex 
that God made you, if you're trying to find ways to bear responsibility as a man or to have a gentle and quiet spirit as a woman, you're going to stand out and people are going to be curious about that. So there you have it. Just love people. Back in episode one, we said it's really hard to sort this stuff out. And now we've spent eight episodes trying to sort this out and figure out where the sin comes from and what the nature of the sin is and what the nature of what God's word said about it. And we've gone to all kinds of places that I didn't expect we were going to go. And I'm guessing a lot of our listeners didn't expect we were going to go. We keep coming back to the same thing, that sin is still sin. Sin or sin and sinners need to be told that their sin is sin against the holy God and that they need to turn to Jesus, who's ready to forgive them their sin. If you're the kind of person that listened to this because you wanted to either explore your own perversity or because you wanted to have all the keys to unlock all the doors for the proper way of cultural engagement and understanding that, guess what? Twist ending. We don't have any magic formula for you. There's no formula. There's no pat answer. There's just love people and tell them the truth. Basically, all we can give you is a more informed way to say, stop sinning and trust Jesus. Love people enough to open your mouth and say the dumb thing and say the weak thing and say the thing you're scared to say and trust God because you'll be surprised what God will do. So yeah, they can say he's loud, he's obnoxious, he likes conflict, you know, he doesn't suffer when he says these things. Listen, I suffer. If if people were able to hear us talking in here, they would have heard me say to you a number of times how I don't like doing this right now. I know exactly how horrendous it all sounds to people. I don't want to be somebody who has to say the things that nobody else says. I don't get a kick out of it. I wrote somebody recently who was furious at me. I wrote to them. I said, look, don't think that I enjoy having you furious at me. I don't enjoy it at all. I would give anything to not have you furious with me. But the Bible is the word of God. And we may not change the Bible to conform to the cultural pressures that we live in. We can't do it. And so after 30-some years of ministry and repenting of my cowardice and my complicity and all kinds of sins in my church, look, we all have a choice. We either fear God or we fear man. We can't fear both directions. And there is no such thing as courage and bravery. All there is is knowing which direction to fear. And we very soon are going to stand before God and we're going to give an accounting for our preaching and pastoral care in our lives. We're going to give an accounting for the way we've lived as a husband and as a father. What we want is to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It will never be absent from many failures. Again, think of Abraham, think of David. Okay, but if we don't fear God, we will never help homosexuals. Never. But if we fear God and love homosexuals, then there's a chance that on that day at the marriage feast of the Lamb, there are going to be men and women who are going to testify that when everything in our lives conspired to keep us from loving them, everything, that we refused to do it and that we cared in our in our faulty scared you know petrified there are no people ever who don't feel the pain of being hated and of having people laugh at them and there are no faithful people who aren't hated and laughed at none jesus 
and all of Scripture make that very clear. If we are useful for the kingdom of God, we are not superior to our master. As they hated him, they'll hate us. And so get over yourself. You're going to give an accounting. And you want to be able to commend your conscience to God. God sees everything. He knows your motivation. There's no Superman. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, what's his face? What's Zuspate Zarathustra? Who is Nietzsche. Nietzsche. Yeah, Nietzsche is like an idiot. There's no Superman. Made was written by Nathan Alverson. It was produced and executive produced by Nathan Alverson and Jacob Menzel. For more fine Warhorn content, go to warhornmedia.com or look us up on social media under at Warhorn Media. And there's one other thing that you might be interested in. Isn't that right, Jacob Menzel? That's right, Nathan. Today, the day that this episode drops, Warhorn Media releases Tim Bailey's new book, co authored by his son Joseph and Pastor Jurgen von Hagen. It's called The Grace of Shame Seven Ways the Churches Fail to Love Homosexuals. If you've loved, enjoyed, appreciated the content of The World We Made, you will want to get this book. It is the next step forward in how to think about homosexuality and how to love those tempted by it. It's available today and for the next 30 days for free at warhornmedia.com as a PDF. Go, no strings attached, no email sign up, nothing. Just go, click download. It's yours. We want you to have it. We want you to read it. We want you to share it and pass it on. You can also buy it at Amazon or Barnes & Noble in paperback or Kindle or on iBooks and, and other things. But really, go today, download that PDF. Well, Jake, that about wraps it up for season one of The World We Made. Now, my question for you, sir, is mm. what should we do for season two? I'm thinking we should probably, you know, maybe kind of kind of a little bit controversial this season. Yeah, 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 I don't know what we should uh, maybe tone it, you know, take it down a notch or two. What do you think we should do next uh, season? Abortion? Yeah, that'd probably go over well. <laughs>